are making our way through the book of Exodus. And before we read the text, just to set a little context, uh, the Israelites. No, we're not in Pentecost. We are in uh, Egypt, and the Israelites are fleeing <laughs> the um, the Egyptian army. And this uh, story for um, this morning is perhaps the central story for our Jewish brothers and sisters. Um, it's the crossing of the Red Sea. So before we listen to the story, let's pray. Oh God, always we open up the scripture desiring to hear a fresh word from you speaking into our lives. And so Lord, as we um, open the scripture and we listen to this most ancient of stories, Lord, would you help us to hear you speaking into our lives today? giving us encouragement and strength and manna for our journey. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right, here at Exodus chapter 14, we're going to begin maybe halfway through the story, beginning at verse 19. The angel of God who was going before the Israelite army moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from in front of them and took its place behind them. It came between the army of Egypt and the army of Israel. And so the cloud was there with the darkness, and it lit up the night. One did not come near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. The Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land. And the waters were divided. The Israelites went into the sea on dry ground, the waters forming a wall for them on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went into the sea after them, all of Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and chariot drivers. At the morning watch, the Lord, at, at the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and cloud looked down upon the Egyptian army and threw the Egyptian army into panic. He clogged their chariot wheels so that they turned with difficulty. The Egyptians said, Let us flee from the Israelites, for the Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, so that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and chariot drivers. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at dawn, the sea returned to its normal depth. As the Egyptians fled before it, the Lord tossed the Egyptians into the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the chariot drivers, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the Israelites walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters forming a wall for them on their right and on their left. Thus, the Lord saved Israel that day from the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great work that the Lord did against the Egyptians, for the people feared the Lord and believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
Whenever we read anything, including the scripture, it's important to know who the author is and why they're writing. This is creatively illustrated in the book that we have in our home called The True Story of the Three Little Pigs by John Seska. And he tells the story from the perspective of the wolf. And the wolf essentially says he was framed. All he was trying to do was make a birthday cake, birthday cake for his dear old granny. And so he went next door to borrow a cup of sugar. But he had a cold, and so when he knocked on that straw door, he sneezed, accidentally blowing the whole house down, and also accidentally killing the pig. He saw this perfectly good-looking pig there, and he thought it, it would be an entire waste to just leave it there, and so he ate the pig up. And a similar thing happens two more times, and he makes the case that the reporters gave false news. He was innocent. He simply had a cold and was trying to bake a cake for his granny. And the story, obviously, in a creative way, is teaching kids that who the author is and what their motive is, claiming their innocence or not, is really important for understanding a story. Well, same with the Bible. Whenever we open the scriptures and listen to the stories, the poems, the prayers, the letters, we must always remember that the book did not fall out of the sky, but that it was written by specific people in specific contexts and places across centuries, all writing for different reasons. The Torah is the first five books of the Bible, and it comes from what we call the oral tradition, which basically means that initially the stories were just told verbally. Families would gather together, and they would tell the, the stories to their children. The children would grow up and then they would tell those stories to their children. And on and on and on. Um, until about the middle of the 6th century, when Babylon, Babylon was conquered by the Holy Land, and the Israelites, most of them, were shipped off to Babylonia. It was then, when they were refugees in a foreign land, in a time of great confusion and disorientation, that the Israelites wrote down their stories all for the purpose of helping them remember their identity so they could survive through a most difficult time. So as we continue to um, understand the story, I'm going to back up just a little bit because I forgot to show a few slides that would help us enter into the story. So we're just going to rewind here. <laughs> See Moses parting his hair. Teenage Moses getting a summer <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. Justin, sorry, I forgot about that part. Humor helps us remember and understand stories, so it's important that we, uh, that we back up and, and see those. So as we're trying to understand this narrative and get into the story and understand um, what was happening there, we always begin by remembering who's telling the story. And in this case, it was the Jewish community. It's important to remember that this is a Jewish story and not an Egyptian story. If the Egyptians were telling the story, it would probably be very different. It helps us to remember that it's a Jewish story because we might get stuck on the part where we read that God drowned the Egyptians in the sea. How do we understand God drowning 
people in the sea? How do we wrestle this with the God of love that we read in the New Testament? We begin by remembering that it's a Jewish story. And it was told and recorded from their perspective for the purpose of giving them hope and encouragement while they were in exile during a very difficult time. The point of their telling the story was that the Hebrew army was no match for the Egyptians. The Hebrews were a small group of people. They didn't have nearly the numbers that the Egyptians had. They certainly didn't have any of the weapons that they had. They didn't have horses. In the Bible, whenever we read about horses, that means war. The Jews were a numerically small group of people. They were struggling. They were a minority group whose weapons and numbers nowhere matched the massive Egyptian army. They were small, but they believed in a God who was great and who was mighty. That's the point of this story, that no matter how difficult or even desperate, hopeless things may seem to be, God is always greater and bigger and better than any circumstance or problem that we face and always able to make a way when there seems to be no way. I could probably end the sermon right there. That's the whole thing in a nutshell. The Jews are in exile, far from their land, and they're remembering this story to help them get through a difficult time. We were in Europe this summer, and as it is the case in many big cities, uh, everywhere we looked in certain cities, there were churches and monuments and big buildings, that helped um, tell the stories of history, uh, things that had happened long before. And I wondered as we traveled around what it would be like maybe to live in a place where you're constantly reminded of life from uh, decades, maybe even centuries earlier. As we all learn when we're in school, as my kids are learning right now, it's important to know your history, partly, so that certain histories don't repeat themselves. This was particularly true when we visited the Anne Frank Museum. Has anybody been there in Amsterdam? From the outside, it looks probably just like it did back then. It just looks like a normal house, but on the inside, they've turned it into a museum for the most part. Uh, obviously, so we remember what happened and so that this particular history is never repeated. How we tell our history is just as important as knowing the facts of what happened. We've been learning about this during uh, the last few months. It's been a national conversation of late with the removal of some of the Confederate symbols and statues in the South. And it's been a conversation about how the perspective from which history is told also matters a great deal. In our story for today, the Jews are telling the story, and the intent is to focus their attention on just how good and faithful and powerful God is. Because, remember, they're in exile, and their identity as a people is hard for us to understand, but their whole identity was connected to a specific piece of land. And not only that, but their faith in God was also connected to this particular piece of land. You remember hearing the stories about the land of Canaan, flowing with milk and honey. This land was a sign of God's faithfulness to them. And so now that they had been shipped off of this land, their whole identity was in confusion. And also their connection to God felt very estranged. 
so they remembered these stories. They looked back on their history to find encouragement and hope for their situation in the present. They remembered that Yahweh is greater than the mighty armies of Egypt. And Yahweh has the power to make a way when there seems to be no way. We humans are weak, we are small, but Yahweh always is mighty and strong. These stories gave perspective and hope to their present situation of living in exile. We might not be in Babylonian exile, but the temptation always is to be overwhelmed by the current struggle, the current exile, whatever it might be. Exile certainly is a part of human life. We might feel like we are in exile over our relationship status, or maybe because certain relationships feel tense, or maybe we aren't where we want to be with our work. Maybe you wish you had a job or didn't have a job. Maybe it's your health. Maybe you wish your health was better, or maybe you wish this about your loved one's health. Maybe you feel in exile about your retirement or your retirement fund. Of course, we could go on and on and on because life this side of heaven is a series of forms of exile. So the question for us this morning that I want to invite us to ponder is, what are the stories, perhaps from our own lives or our family life, that maybe we need to be retelling, remembering, to help us get through our current struggles? Like the ancient Israelites, maybe there are stories from our family life. Our Jewish brothers and sisters, they retell this particular story every year at Passover. As a community, they lean into the story and they retell it in the present tense so that the experience of God's power and might and deliverance that they read about so that they claim that for the present time. As we consider our own situations of exile, our own need for help along our way, let me suggest that this morning we remember a particular story in the New Testament. This is one I return to again and again. It's at the end of John's Gospel, chapter 20. Jesus has been crucified, and there is massive confusion and grief about what has just happened. The disciples in the story are in an upper room, the door's locked, and it says they're very afraid. And then, suddenly, Jesus appears. Somehow he makes it through the door. He's been resurrected from the dead, and he greets them with the traditional resurrection greeting. He says, peace be with you. And then it says that he breathed on them, and they were changed. I continue to return to this story because I wonder if sometimes all we really need is to take a breath. Take a breath with faith that we're being breathed into with an incredible amount of hope and power that is available to us at all times, but which most of the time we just aren't aware of. This is one of the reasons I'm offering you the yoga chapel. Yoga, something is just, a, just movements, but really it's yoga, it's movement connected with breath. And for us, an awareness of the one who's breathing into us, Christ. It's Christian meditation. 
And it's incredibly powerful. In this, in this story from the New Testament, the disciples are filled with fear and anxiety. Just like the ancient Israelites running from Pharaoh's army. And maybe like we feel sometimes. Depending on what's going on in your life. Already on which CNN you watch. Maybe you can relate to this. Brené Brown is a sociologist who studies human connection. And she says that the research shows that when we muster up the courage to share what is difficult for us to speak, when we are vulnerable and we share things like what we're afraid of or what makes us anxious or our shame, our regrets, failures, when we share that stuff, it deepens the connections that we have with other human beings. It's not the stories of our success or the images on social media that show how perfectly happy we are or how much fun we're having. It's not those stories, but it's the stories of the struggle that are important for sharing with other human beings. I asked a couple of people this week, what would you rather hear? A story of someone's success or a story of someone's failure, regret, when they fell flat on their face. And of course, you know the answer. It was the latter. We all want to hear those stories, right? So I'll tell you one. <laughs> <laughs> a few weeks ago, Rob shared a story that uh, made me think of a story from our own uh, experience. And his story had a title, so I will name mine. This is the hike when my husband thought I was trying to kill us. <laughs> he doesn't know I'm going to share this story. <laughs> well, we were on a hike in Yosemite. My parents had uh, taken the kids for the weekend. I think it was like a birthday celebration or something. We went up to Yosemite, and we were going to hike Half Dome. Uh, this is a long hike. Has anybody done Half Dome? Yes, so you know, you know. It's like 16 miles. It's a full day experience, right? So you gotta, you got to get prepared. And we were in good enough shape and uh, thought we had everything we needed. But the truth is, on this particular day, um, it was really hot. And I was afraid of getting dehydrated. And, um, you know, thought we had enough water. I had a water bottle. My husband had a camelback. And I think we did have enough water. But, uh, maybe you know where this is going, because of my anxiety about the hike, I accidentally drank all of our water about halfway into the trip. This was past the one spot where, at least at that time, there was um, a place to fill up your water bottle. And uh, my excuse was I didn't mean to drink all the water, but um, on the camelback, you can't tell, I can't tell, you know, how much water you're drinking. I claimed my incense. Um, and even though it's a very popular hike and there are lots of other people out there, of course, it's hard to admit you've been a total idiot and you, you know, weren't prepared, you drank all your water. Not to mention that people don't usually hike with extra water that they can share with people around them because water's heavy to carry, and especially on this hike, it's, um, it's a big journey. So to make a long story short, we were okay for a while, uh, but then eventually we realized that we were going to have to ask for some help. I was going to have to swallow my pride and admit to some stranger that, you know, it was 
was my fault. I drank all our water. <laughs> I did something really stupid. I had no other option than just to humbly own it. Uh, because it was a really hot day, and it's a long hike, and you just can't stay at that altitude and that heat for that amount of time. So, you know, to make a long story short, we did. We asked water for a stranger, from a stranger, and um, he actually graciously provided us with an entire water bottle. Uh, maybe he just didn't want to share with us, but uh, we were provided for it, and we eventually made it back to our car. I think that was about 10 years ago. It was a long time ago. Um, Jeff continues to remind me of that story. <laughs> he doesn't like to share a water bottle with me. <laughs> it's a mistake that I'm sure I'm never going to repeat. But owning our need, uh, acknowledging our need for um, help, um, puts us in a posture of dependency. You know, in our situation, on the goodwill of strangers. And uh, acknowledging our need for help puts us in the posture of acknowledging our need for God's goodwill to be showered upon us. In the stories of Exodus, Moses was the one through whom the Israelites knew God's kindness. This is in contrast to Zeus, who was believed to throw lightning bolts from the sky. Yahweh was different. And the entire Old Testament points us to the New Testament, where God is revealed to us in the person of Jesus. He lived, he died, he was resurrected from the dead. And who is to us present through the power of the Holy Spirit. And for us, being Christ followers means that we know we're dependent upon God's kindness to us, the Lord continually breathing life and strength and hope and forgiveness into our bodies, into our souls, day after day. The key is having the, the courage, the humility to acknowledge our weakness, our need for grace. Always remember that Jesus said he came for the sick, not for the healthy. The Israelites were weaklings compared to the mighty Egyptians. The story that we've read this morning is a testimony of God's strength and God's power to intervene for them in their place of weakness. And this story calls us to be honest about our own lives, about our own fears, our own weakness, and to lean into the presence of the one that we trust is with us. The Israelites told this story to remember who they were and to remember who God was. And so if today you are struggling to find your way through a difficult season, difficult relationship, difficult decision, difficult anything, then let's join our ancient brothers and sisters who certainly had their fair share of struggles and who found encouragement for their own journeys by telling stories from long ago and claiming the power of God's love and deliverance, provision from the past, claiming it for their lives today. I'll end with this. In the second letter to the Corinthians, Paul says, chapter 12, verses 9 through 10, he says he heard a word from the Lord that said, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, he says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses. 
I delight in insults, I delight in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. May it be so for you and for